Last week, of course, was Easter Sunday. We celebrated that with a lot of happiness. And we're not done with it yet, otherwise the signs would be down. But we're not done with Easter. Uh, you can't just fit it in one little thing. You've got to stretch it out. There's lots of wonderful things to say about it, and we're going to do that. And so we come to another Easter story. In John chapter 20, for our text today, John chapter 20, for our Easter text today. I grew up in a family where we were encouraged to be individuals, to be different, and most certainly not to conform. And so we all had our own personalities. My father is what I would call happy-go-lucky. He loved to joke around, and if he could find a way to pull your leg, he was going to do it. And uh, as they say, for the most part, he was not to be very serious. He could be, but most time, no. My mother was a very quiet person, and she would always say things when she did that were very wise. She was well-mannered. My older sister was always a very popular person. She had winning ways and could charm people of all ages. All the aunts and uncles said, well, of course, she's our favorite niece. <laughs> I don't know what I was. I have no idea what I was. But my older brother was more serious than the rest of us. And he was more pessimistic and tending to be depressed and I remember when I was probably eight years old, and for our family devotions at that time, we were reading The Pilgrim's Progress. And one morning, we all came and sat down for breakfast, and my brother made an announcement at the table. He said, I feel like I'm in the slough of despondency. <laughs> now, in Pilgrim's Progress... The main character had got trapped in a swamp called the slough, that's a word for swamp, slough of despondency. It meant that he was depressed. And on that particular morning, my brother made that announcement that he felt that he was in the slough of despondency. Well, no one said anything for a few moments. And then my father, with a twinkle in his eye, started to sing a little song. He said, oh, Arnold's in the slough of despondency. <laughs> Singing high diddly 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 dee. <laughs> That's almost 60 years ago. I still have that little song stuck in my head. <laughs> I guess it was my father's way of saying you're a young teenager. And you really don't have any reason to feel depressed. Now, my friends, God made every person to be different. And my brother was more melancholy than the rest of us. He didn't inherit that because nobody else was like that. But he was born with a darker point of view and a tendency to be depressed and feel like things were not going his way. And as we consider the resurrection of Jesus, we find that the people who followed Jesus were also very different types of people. 
The story of what happened on that first Easter morning deals with all those different personalities and how the risen Savior related to each person according to their own character. Mary Magdalene was the sweet lover who was so brokenhearted at Jesus' death. And she was the first person to see the risen Christ. Peter was the guilty one who had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus made a private appearance to Peter that morning. The faithful woman who served Jesus and cared for his needs were met by Jesus on the road with a happy call, All hail! Or as we would say today, Good morning to you! That would be a nice thing to hear on Easter Sunday from Jesus. And the two men with seeking hearts who were so full of questions, Cleopas and Luke, on the road to Emmaus, met Jesus and had long discussions with him before they recognized him. The last appearance of Jesus on that first Easter day was in the same room where they had celebrated what we call the Last Supper. The disciples had gathered with many stories of the events of the day, and suddenly Jesus was standing right there among them. And what a happy moment that was. But there was one exception, one person missing. We take up that story in our text today. John chapter 20, and I start at verse number 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So one of Jesus' disciples was named Thomas. And there's no record of Thomas speaking or saying anything at all, almost to the end Because Thomas was not confident and enthusiastic like Peter. Thomas wasn't loud and boisterous like James and John. He wasn't friendly and easy to talk to like Andrew. Thomas was dark, pessimistic, easily depressed. He was one of those people who thought, nothing ever goes my way. If there are two possibilities, good and bad, I will always have the bad one happen to me. He was moody. And so we never hear him talk because he never's got anything good to say. Now the first time we hear Thomas say anything is at the death of Lazarus. Jesus decides to go back to Lazarus' tomb after Lazarus had died. And it's near Jerusalem. And that where Jesus' life had been threatened a couple weeks before. And so uh, Jesus said, I'm going to go back to Lazarus' tomb. And we read of it in John chapter 11, and verse number 14. Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, but I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent you might believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. All of Jesus' disciples had been told by Jesus over and over 
that Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem, be arrested and abused and die. But they all ignored it. They all put it off as something that might happen in the far off future, all except for Thomas. And he, in his usual melancholy way, said, well, if he's going to go to Lazarus' tomb, we might as well all go and die with him. He thought the worst thing that could happen, and that's what came out of his mouth, as if the only possible outcome was... We all might as well go die together. Comes out once more at the Last Supper when Thomas speaks again. Now Jesus is talking to his disciples at the Last Supper. And that night, Jesus said the most encouraging words ever spoken. It's such a wonderful thing that Jesus said that I use it all the time for memorial services, funerals, uh, to bring hope to people who are sad. And it's in John chapter 14, and he's at the Last Supper, and he's telling them this wonderful bit of information. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Whither I go, you know, and the way you know, Jesus tells of his plans to prepare a special place for us in heaven to take us there and be with us there forever. Such hope for the future, such promises of a happy ending, it's so encouraging. And what does Thomas say? Verse 5, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? In his usual depressing manner, he says, if we don't know where you're going, how are we supposed to know how to get there? <laughs> In a moment of sweet promises and encouragement for the future, when Jesus opens a wonderful door of knowledge, all Thomas can do is complain. Now, Jesus would answer Thomas that night with some of the most famous words that Jesus ever said, but we'll come back to that in a minute. This study of Thomas is not to say that his natural character was a bad thing. He was naturally that way, born that way, as some people are, as my brother was. But it is our goal to say that bad behavior is a choice. And when we make bad choices, it can make a situation much worse. So we return to our text now, John chapter 20, and we start at verse 24 again. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, 
was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore saith unto him, We have seen the Lord. And he said unto them, I accept, I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. Now, if Thomas wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus made his Easter evening appearance, then where was he? Well, that's what I want to know. Where was he anyway? As the reports come in, one by one, of the early appearances of Jesus to Mary Magdalene, to Peter, to the ladies, to the disciples that are gathered together there, they gather and they talk and they wonder and they speculate and they dream, wonder what's going on today. All except for Tom. Where is he? Now one thing should be made clear. The last week of Jesus' life had been a roller coaster of emotion for the disciples. Entering Jerusalem amid cheering crowds on Palm Sunday, exciting. Watching Jesus clear the temple on Monday, very exciting. And then the Passover feast with Jesus on Thursday night, so full of deep instruction and mixed emotions as Jesus taught them deep things that night. And the shock of his arrest in Gethsemane. Everyone flees for their lives and runs away. Jesus tried and convicted before breakfast. Nailed to a cross before lunch. And dead before supper. Everyone is depressed. Everyone is feeling sad and helpless. All the disciples felt the plunge of their emotions into a deep despair as Jesus was laid in a tomb. No one could feel encouraged or uplifted. The reality was harsh and bitter. Jesus is dead. Depression was universal. But as Easter morning began to bring strange reports and unexpected news, a faint glimmer of hope began to be felt. But no such feelings were in Thomas. Naturally, expecting the worst like he always did, he plunged into a deep depression. And believing that all was hopeless, Thomas refused to join with the others and he isolated himself, sat alone in his own self-imposed solitary confinement. That, my friends, was a critical error in judgment. That was a bad choice. That was a flaw in his behavior. My friends, the depressed person often decides to withdraw and to pull away, and it's a wrong choice. Look what Thomas lost when he isolated himself. The first wonderful appearance of Jesus to his disciples on earth, he lost it. When Jesus suddenly appeared in the room, when he sat down and ate dinner with them, 
He lost it when he walked around the room breathing on their heads and giving to them the Holy Spirit. Thomas missed it all. All the blessing, all the joy, all the assurance, all the fullness of Jesus' blessed peace. Thomas lost it all because he chose to isolate himself and refused to join with the others. My friends, in the fellowship of people who believe there is help, there is hope, there is encouragement in the fellowship of people who believe there is strength, there is joy. Whatever crisis comes into your life, do not isolate yourself from God's people. It's a bad choice. Now, my friends, I understand there are people who just can't help it. They've lost their health. They've lost their mobility. They can't be here with us as they once were, and they would love to be here with us, but they simply cannot do it. It's not those people I speak of. I'm talking about people like Thomas who could attend but chose not to because they preferred to plunge themselves deeper into their depression. They chose to isolate themselves until the darkness closes in around them and they feel all is lost. Everything in Thomas' heart said, don't go join in with the others. But it was a terrible choice. Bad judgment. The wrong thing to do. And so it was, naturally... When the others saw Thomas, they said, where were you? Where were you? Jesus came, talked with us. We saw him, we touched him, we ate with him. It was the happiest moment we ever experienced in our whole life. Where were you? Then something was triggered in Thomas. Was it jealousy? Was it pride? Was it some of both? And they said, you missed the whole thing. Where were you? And he said, I don't believe you. His jealousy said, I won't accept your word for it. And then pride lifted up its head and Thomas said, I will not believe till I stick my finger into his nail wounds. And I won't believe unless I thrust my hand into his side. I do not believe you, and I will not believe until my conditions are all met. Oh, Thomas... Who do you think you are that you can set up conditions that you can demand the things that you want in order to believe? Belief is based on accepting things that are revealed, revealed truth. Believing what has been explained. You don't get to demand your own condition. Truth is revealed. You believe it. You accept it. You scrutinize it if you will. But you don't say, I'm only going to have it my way. No, Thomas. You have let your jealousy get the best of you because the other disciples saw Jesus and you didn't. 
And to cover your own error and judgment, you stand proudly before the others and say, I don't believe you. I'll have it my own way. I'll decide what I believe. My friends, truth has been revealed, a whole book full of it. The Bible has stated the facts, and if you don't approve, that doesn't matter. Doesn't change what's true. Is for you to come to the truth. And how do we do that? Those were those famous words in John 14 that Jesus told Thomas. When Thomas said in his sarcastic way, if we don't know where you're going, how do you expect us to know how to get there? And to that, Jesus replied those most famous words, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. The way to believe is to put all your trust in Jesus as the ultimate truth. And when you believe him and the truth he represents, then and only then will you have life, full and free and overflowing. Not dark, not depressing, not melancholy. So now we have the rest of the story. John 20, verse 26. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, stood in the midst. And said, Peace be unto you. And he saith to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger. Behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand. Thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Thomas is about to be taught a lesson. This time it's a week later. Thomas was with the others. Still hanging on to his pride, and suddenly Jesus is standing in the room with him. <laughs> and he gives his usual greeting Peace be to you, or happy to see you. And Jesus walks right up to Thomas, first thing. He says, Go ahead, put your finger in that hole. And pulling back his robe and exposing the hole in his side, he says to Thomas, put your whole hand in that wound. It's time, Thomas, to stop being faithless. It's time to start believing. What a moment for Thomas that was. What a flood of emotions pours over him. He suddenly realizes that Jesus was probably in the room all the time, unseen, but listening to every word. And he comes face to face with the fact when he was so angrily telling the others that he refused to believe them, that he would only believe if he touched the wounds for himself. Jesus, unseen, was already in the room listening to all of what Thomas said and his bad-tempered comments. And now, deeply embarrassed by his own words, his face turns red as he blushes when Jesus, standing with his robe pulled back, says, 
Put your hand in there. And, not, and then he fully understands that his normally hopeless attitudes and his pessimistic point of view and his wallowing in his depression was so very wrong. He now understands it wasn't the worst possible outcome that could ever be. Instead, Jesus is standing there. It's the best possible outcome could ever be. The highest and the greatest of all outcomes. Jesus had risen from the tomb and was alive and well. Full of his usual insight, he now invites Thomas, believe, not doubt. Hope, not fear. Let your spirit soar. Don't lie in the gloomy darkness. And let your joy be expressed. Don't go waiting in the slough of despondency. Come on, Thomas. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So go ahead. Thrust your hand into my side. And finally, that moment, something changed inside of Thomas. A deep, fundamental change. Abandoning the darkness he so preferred in the past. He embraced the light. He believed the truth. He tasted the joy. And he said, my Lord, my master, my owner, my king, you own me completely and you are my God. Did he touch Jesus' wounds? I don't think so. After all, only people who doubted would have to touch those wounds. That wasn't Thomas anymore. Verse 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and have yet believed. So it was on that occasion In front of Thomas, Jesus thought about us, you and me. People who could not see the wounds. People who could not see him standing in the room. People who could not hear the sound of his voice. But accepting the truth as it was revealed, have fully embraced the risen Christ as their master and their God. People like us who have not seen but still believe. Jesus has risen from the dead and there is no possibility that it can end badly for us who believe. No need for pessimism. Join with God's people and accept that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Change that little song my father sang. You won't find me in the slough of despondency. I'll be singing songs of praise. You just wait and see. That's the story of how the risen Savior cured the depression of one of his own disciples. Thomas went on to preach the gospel all the way to India where he gave his life for Jesus. And after all, who knew better what a pleasure it was to go from darkness to light than Thomas? No more slough despondency for him. So thank you, Jesus, 
for coming to us, whatever our condition. Thank you, Jesus, for all you do. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that inspire us to believe and to trust you. Help us to lay our hearts in Jesus with all the confidence in the world. And know it can only turn out right when we trust in you. Bless us, we pray. We on this Easter thought as we think about what you did on that wonderful day. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. I could turn your hymn books in closing, if you will. Hymn number 480. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Standing as we sing, 480. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Page 480. see the troubled soul. We thank you that you have looked down upon us, those who are struggling, those who have trouble believing, and all of us in our trials and our struggles to go in this life, to keep all things right in the right direction. Lord, we so often falter and fail. We do not believe as we should. Our faith is not as strong as it should be. And we ask that you would come in our life and touch us. 
Help us to know that you are listening to every conversation. You are there with us in every room. We are thankful that you have cared enough to do these things for us and that we may go to Calvary to have those burdens lifted, to be freed from the things that would bind us and hold us back. May we go from darkness into light like Thomas did. May we have that new step and a new outlook to see what it is that the Savior has done for us. And may we take that on into new life. We thank you for protecting us and being with us. Watch over us. Bring us all back to this place, we ask in your name.